have your Bibles today, the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse number 20. The book of Jude, chapter 1, and verse number 20. I'll ask if you will please stand to your feet as we reverse the reading of God's holy word. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. From this text today, I believe God wants us to launch a series of messages entitled Building Blocks of Faith. And put on the bulletin, I don't know if you've got one or not, but there's a Bible, and on top of it, it says Building Blocks, and there's Building Blocks of F-A-I-T-H. And may I say that before you can have Building Blocks of Faith, you must first have a foundation. And that foundation is Christ. For other foundation can no man lay than that that is laid. The Lord Jesus Christ is our foundation. So this morning, as we are ready to study the building blocks of faith, we must first think about salvation. Amen. That is our building block of faith. That's our foundation in Jesus Christ. I want to preach on this thought then, a night of salvation. There's a night I got saved, amen. Maybe it was a daytime for you, but it was probably not somewhere. May I say that you were in the darkness of your sin, dead in trespasses. It was dark 30 where you were, and Jesus came by and rescued you and saved your sin-sick soul. And I bless his holy name today, amen. We have a night of salvation. And if you're here today and you've never been saved, May this be the day that you call on Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. Amen. Father, would you help us then to preach in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. Have this I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now, we're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 16. And as you're turning there, I want to say that being saved is the starting point but it's not the stopping place. Salvation is where we get in, but we must go on. Jude is describing this as a building process. So salvation is the foundation of the structure. In the book of Acts chapter 16, we know that Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey. They've come now into the region called Macedonia. Verse 16 says, It came to pass as we went to prayer... A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. This young girl was a fortune teller. She had a demon spirit within her that caused her to be able to tell people's fortunes. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. The spirit within her was crying out, these are holy men of God. You may say, Preacher Aaron, that shouldn't be a problem. Well, it was getting in the way of their preaching. And that's what a demon wants to do. Uh, one time, I remember very well, 
we were at Camp Zion and uh, there was a bunch of people that had gotten saved over on this side of the, the altar, this, this side of the platform, the stage, and they were a screaming and a shouting. You said, praise God, preacher, they ought to be doing that. Finally, it got in the way of the preacher preaching and he looked over and he said, young ladies, now you know that's not of God. You need to stop it right now. And they completely stopped. If it had been of God, you couldn't have stopped it. Amen? But it completely shut down. This girl has something within her that's trying to interrupt the word of God from going forward. In verse number 18, And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Uh Uh-oh. Now, Verse 19, when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, in other words, they were making money, they were making profit over this girl telling people's fortunes. People were paying them, amen, and they were getting the cut of all the proceeds. And now the demon's gone. Now the fortune-telling business is over. And their money, their pocketbook has been affected. When they saw that hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas, and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates, and rent off their clothes, and commanded to beat them. The men of God... Because they have cast the demon out of this young girl, she's probably gotten saved. They have been arrested for preaching and now they're going to beat them. Verse 23, when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now here they're accused, they're arrested, and they're punished. And the jailer has been given charge who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Number one, I want us to see this night of salvation. Number one was a night of pain. The men of God have been arrested. They have been beaten. There is blood running down their backs. There are stripes. There are wounds. There is excruciating, horrifying pain running through their body. I'm talking to somebody today. You may be dealing with a situation in your life. It is excruciatingly painful. Uh, You wish that it was just stripes. There are things worse than a beating. You've lived through all kinds of the artillery of hell being leveled against you. It's been a night of pain. Yea, it's been a month of pain. It's been years of pain and suffering and anguish that you've been going through. These men of God are in pain. They are bleeding They have raw wounds on their backs. They're imprisoned. The Bible says they're thrown into the inner prison. That is the darkest, deepest dungeon. It is cold. It is damp. There's no toilet there. There's raw excrement on the floor. There's rats, lice, vermin, an intolerable stench. No outside lights whatsoever. Complete darkness all around Their feet are in stocks. Their hands, no doubt, are in chains. There's no freedom. They're paralyzed there. They're held against their will. They are 
unable to move. They hear the groans of the dying prisoners around them. They hear the moans of the prisoners that are still alive, cursing and grumbling and swearing. I'm sure they felt very alone that night. They've done everything right. God had them to the place of preaching the gospel. Yet here they are. The world has turned on them. Just because you're a Christian and you think everything ought to be handled to you on a silver platter doesn't mean the world loves you and appreciates your stand. They're against me preaching the gospel. They're against you worshiping today. They don't want to hear you singing and praising God in the house of God today. But may I say, because there's been a night of salvation, you're still standing and praying and praising God and preaching His Word, and you're standing out, amen. You may be in pain because of preaching. You may be in pain because of praising God, but yet you're still standing. Thank God for it, amen. Number one, there's a night of pain. And some of you, you're not saved, you're in it. You are saved, you're in it. Serving God, there's problems. There's been issues. The enemies come against you. There's all kind of mayhem going on in your life. Number two, it is a night of praise and a night of prayer. Look with me in verse 25. And at midnight, here it is, the darkest time of the darkest dungeon. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. Woo! Preacher, Dad, what about that? Rather than these men of God murmuring and complaining about their lot, they are praying and they're seeking God's face. Though their hands and their feet are bound, their tongues, their hearts, and their minds are very loose. And they begin to pray and pray out loud. Hey, the pain you're in, are you murmuring? The pain you're in, are you complaining? Hey, with the pain you're in, you ought to be a praying. That's the best thing that you and I could ever do. And I believe their prayer is not, oh God, get us out of this mess. Oh God, give us freedom. I think they're saying, God, thank you for allowing us to suffer for your glory. Preacher Dan, you've lost your mind. They're, pray, they're praying, thanking God for their plight. Hey, you still got your Bible open? Look in verse number 10 of this chapter. You remember? Now they had had a vision. Paul, someone come to Paul and said, come over to Macedonia and help us, verse 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. I underline this. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. You know what they were doing? They were assuredly gathering that the Lord had sent them to that place. You know, we may be in prison, but it's okay because I know that God sent us here. We are sure. We are certain. The proof is out there. They went down to the riverside and led Lydia to the Lord and all her household. Then they cast the demon out of this fortune-telling girl, and she got saved. Amen. God is working. And I'm telling you, they're thanking God openly in prayer for what God has done. Though they're suffering, though they have a knot of pain, they're saying, God, thank you for saving souls. And I think they did this. I think they started praying for those around them. I think they started praying for old Seth in the next cell over there and Brother David on the other side. I think they started praying for the jailer. I think they started saying, God, there's a bunch of people in this prison. These guards, this jailer, these other prisoners I'm with, they need what we got, God. God, would you save them? In the middle of their pain, 
They're thanking God and they're praying for others. Not only were they praying, but the Bible says they were praising God. They sang praises unto God. Isn't this something that in the middle of suffering, God gave them a song? Ain't that just like Jesus? Only Jesus can give you a song in the darkest valley, in the loneliest place in your life, amen. And the song he gives you is a song of joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. Not only do I see prayer and praise, but look with me at the end of the verse. And the prisoners heard them. The prisoners. The word heard means that they have uh, been captivated. They are listening with full attention. They're not saying, hey, stop over there making all that noise and all that. No, no, no. They stopped and heard these men's prayer. This is strange that men who are bleeding, men who are suffering, men who are in pain, it is strange when the world looks and sees them still praying and praising God. And they heard their prayers and they heard their praises and they know it's a very strange situation. In prison times, you hear men curse, but you don't hear men pray. You hear men moan and groan, but you don't hear men praise God. Let me say this. These prisoners, they didn't say, what's going on over there? They just simply started hearing this praise. May I say they somebody else heard it too. God heard the praise. God heard the prayer. And what did he do? Amen. Thirdly, he's going to turn it into a night of power. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. God heard their prayer and God said amen by sending an earthquake. A powerful phenomenon. Not some random event, but the right place at the right time. A special earthquake. The walls of the jail did not fall. Only the doors opened. Every door. All their shackles came off. All their chains fell at their feet. What kind of earthquake could come and shake the foundations and make the stocks fall off your feet and the chains fall off your hands, amen, and get you free, amen, and at the same time open the door before you? That's a special earthquake. God has just gave them release. God has not forgotten them. Now, the Bible says in verse 27, the keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep. In other words, he had been so comfortable, he had gone to sleep. But now the earthquake has woke him up. He drew, when he saw the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had fled. So here he knows, the Bible says earlier I read to you that he was given charge of the prisoners when a jailer back in those days was given charge. If the prisoners escaped, their sentence fell on the jailer. If they were sentenced to die, the jailer's got to die in their place. He knows the doors are open. They probably all ran away. He draws out his sword. He starts to fall on it and commit suicide in that very place. And my Bible says in verse number 28, 
But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now think about it. In a jail or a prison, when the stocks are fell off and the chains are fell off and the prison doors are open, what are prisoners going to do? They go run, but not these prisoners because those men have been praying and praising God and God sent a special earthquake, not one of them moved. They were all shocked. They were amazed. No one tried to escape. No one even thought about it's time to leave. You hear people say all the time, when God opens the door, you need to go through it. God opened Paul's jail cell and he didn't take time to get out of it. He thought, you know, ooh, I'm so free in here. I'll just keep praising and praising God in the middle of my jail cell. Now the jailer heard. He said, do thyself no harm for we. Paul's a prisoner. All the prisoners are captivated by what's going on. We are all here. Verse 29, what's this? Then he called for a light. This night... It's not only just a night of power, but fourthly, it's becoming a night of promise. Then he called for a light. The light, that represents Jesus. He sprang in and he came trembling and he fell down before Paul and Silas. Can you see the jail? Now, if you were the jailer, if you were the warden, when everyone's jail cell door is open, when everyone's chains have fallen off, when the stocks are off their feet, and you feel threatened, you know what you'd do? Bless God, you'd run over here, and you'd say, man, I'm going to shut that door back. And now if I shut every door, I'm going to shut every door around here, shut that door, shut that door, shut that door, shut all these doors. That would, but listen, that's not what he did. My Bible said in the middle of the darkness, he called for a light. He sprang in. My Bible said he's trembling. Oh, listen to me, youngins. A night of promise. He's under conviction. He knows Paul and Silas have peace that he don't have. Prisoners have peace that the jailer don't have. He came in trembling and he fell down before them. That's what I think he did. Look with me. The Bible says in verse number 30, he brought them out. He pulled them out into the hallway there and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hey, there was revival at midnight in the middle of the darkest jail cell, amen. What about that? The jailers felt conviction and he started seeking conversion, amen. Now I have a question. What is the meaning of salvation? We divide people by classes. We divide them by upper, middle, lower. We divide them by rich, poor. White, black, brown, so forth. Young, old. Here's one, Democrat or Republican. That's how you divide people. But God only sees two classes of people, saved and unsaved. I'll say it like this, saved and lost. This man says, sirs, can you imagine a jailer calling a prisoner, sir, <laughs> sirs, what must I do to be Save Well, save from what? To be saved means to be delivered. Delivered from what? The earthquake is over. Uh, all the prisoners 
nobody's escaped, then what are we saved? What does he want to be saved from? Remember when Jesus was born? The angel came and said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Saved from sin. Today's modern behavior psychologists and the humanists, they have no idea of what sin is. And to be honest with you, the average Baptist church has lost their concept of what sin is. We are living in a society that don't want to put guilt on anybody. A no-fault society is what we live in. They call sin weakness, error. It's a mistake, a misjudgment, a malfunction, whatever. This is what the Bible says about sin. 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Is there anybody here that would say, Preacher Darren, I have never told a lie. I'm looking to my left, left center. I'm looking to my right center. I'm looking to my right. Not one hand in this entire building said, Preacher Darren, I've never told a lie. I'm looking on the camera. There's not one of you that could say you've never told a lie. There was a lady one time. We had such a service. People was lined up, hugging people, got saved. I was standing here on the end. She came by and she says, you asked if anybody had ever lied. I've not lied in 13 years. Man, I jumped up the stage like this. She said, where are you going? I said, you just broke your streak. Is there anybody here that could say you've never at one time or another, without them knowing it, took a nickel off your mama's dresser or your daddy's nightstand? You took a nickel, and they didn't know it. I am preaching today to a bunch of liars and thieves here at Bethel Baptist Church. And the Bible says, if we're a sinner, amen, the wages of sin is death. Have you ever, you don't have to raise your hand, no, sir, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever been stopped for going too fast in your car? Have you ever been stopped for rolling a stop sign? You didn't stop at the stop sign. You just kind of slowed down and rolled through it. There was a lady close in my family. She rolled a stop sign. And the policeman stopped her. And she went, oh, this is what she said. She said, but I'm telling you, I stopped at this one. And, and all my life, I've stopped at stop signs. But that didn't matter if she had stopped at every single one. Because that day, she rolled a stop sign. I don't care if you say, but hey, I got, a, I got pulled over for speeding, but yesterday I didn't speed. Tell that to the officer and see if it works. Oh, preacher Darren, I didn't lie today yet. I've not told a lie today yet. Listen, that will not work. Anybody here, you like fruit salad? Say you got some of the most freshest, delectable fruit, some of the best that's ever been mixed together, and the person mixing together has oozing, running sores on their hands. How many of y'all going to eat that fresh fruit salad? Why aren't you going to eat it? Because they've contaminated it 
by their sores on their hands. Let me say to you liars and you thieves, my Bible says we all are an unclean thing and all our righteousness, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The word filthy rags mean it's a bandage on a leper's sore. We're contaminated. We're polluted by sin. We're all sinners. And the result of sin is judgment and death. The wages of sin is death. To be saved means to be saved from the penalty of sin. On July the 13th, 1978, just a 12-year-old boy made my way to an old-fashioned altar and Jesus saved me that day. What did he save you from, preacher? He saved me from the penalty of sin. I'm not going to hell. I was condemned, but now I'm not guilty because Jesus has washed my sins away in his precious blood. You're looking at a boy today that has been justified. Justified as if I've never, ever sinned. I know I've lied. I know I stole. But when I came to Jesus, by his mercy and by his grace, he forgave me and saved me from the penalty of sin. Amen. Gets better than that. Not only am I saved from the penalty of sin, I'm saved from the pollution of sin. I used to contaminate everything I touched. Amen. But right now in my life, God is presently working in my life. In the past, I've been delivered from the penalty of sin, which is out there in the future. But presently, he's still saving me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, time out, preacher. He's still saving you? Oh, yes. I am currently being delivered from the power of sin. You see, he set me free of it. When he saved me there, there came an earthquake to my soul. The shackles of my sin and the chains that bound me have fallen off. And now I'm free to praise him. I'm free to serve him. Well, I feel preaching storm working in me. Something out of help me preach. I'm free to worship. Amen. But my flesh is not saved. My flesh wars against my soul. My soul is saved, but my flesh has cravings and desires for things that are ungodly. And God is currently delivering me from the power and the pollution of sin. May I say it like this? Sin can coerce me, but it cannot force me because I'm made free by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got saved at 12. I've not lived a perfect life. I failed, I've stumbled, but I'll tell you one thing. When I got saved, amen, there's a power that came into me that allows me to live in victory if I want to every day of my life. Amen. Did you know that every time, without exception, I've ever asked Jesus, give me grace, give me strength to overcome, he has. He saved me from the penalty of sin. He is currently today saving me from the pollution and the power of sin. One day when he takes me home to heaven, I will be saved from the presence of sin. 
I'm going to a place that the devil can't get to. Sin will never enter into the gates of that city. Well, preacher, Dan, if they let you in, they've let in sin. No, honey, he forgave me and the penalty's gone away and the power's done away with and the prince of sin is gone. Because I've been delivered from the penalty of sin, I've been justified. He looks at me as if I never sinned. Because he is delivering me from the power and the pollution of sin, that means that he is sanctifying me. What got quiet? Sanctified, preacher Darren. What does that mean? It means set apart. You see, God only has two classes, saved and lost. And if you're saved, he sets you apart from the lost world. Sometimes my flesh makes me act like the lost world, amen. And I should have known better. And he brings chastisement, discipline into my life to get me back where I need to be, amen. Let me go a little further. Not only am I being uh, saved from the penalty of sin, I'm justified. And I'm saved uh, from the power of sin, I'm sanctified. But one day I'll be saved from the presence of sin, I'll be glorified. Just like Jesus is glorified, we shall be like him, amen. It's what my Bible says. Now, verse 31. Verse 30 says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Saved from what? Saved from sins. Verse 31. They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And thy house. You see, salvation is in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not in Buddha. It's not in Confucius. It's not in Muhammad. There's only salvation in the name of Jesus. We've talked about the meaning of salvation. May I say something about the man of salvation? They called him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As Lord, he is master. As Jesus, he is mediator. As Christ, he is Messiah, the anointed one. You're not saved by the plan of salvation. You are saved by the man of salvation. He shed his blood, was buried, and rose again on the first day of the week that we might be saved. What a precious night of salvation. My Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only salvation is in the blood of the sin-bearing Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the lover of my soul, and the forgiver of my sin. This morning in Sunday school, how many of you asked this question? How many of you believe a plane can fly? Not everybody, I'm shocked. Have you ever went to the airport and seen that airplane take off at so many miles an hour and lose its gravitational force and the power of aerodynamics, the law of aerodynamics takes a place and the airplane gets up in the sky? You ever seen an airplane fly? I need another witness. Listen, we're going to take a test. How many of you believe an airplane can fly? Preacher, I've seen them. I believe they fly. Is there anybody here scared of flying? I see hands going up. See hands going up. Let me say this to you. I used to be scared of flying. I was like, man, I don't know if I want to get on that thing or not. This this thing might crash. But then I thought, you know what? There's There's more car crashes than there are airplane crashes. More people die in a vehicle than they die in an airplane. So I said, I'm going to get on there and I'm going to trust God. 
And I got on there, and I was—I held that seat back. Ooh, and we took off. I was like, "Oh, this is wonderful!" And in just a few, just a few minutes, we were down in Atlanta. And in just a few minutes, we were down in Florida. And I was like, "Man, this would have took me all day, and here I am!" Shaboom, shabam! <laughs> this is great. I used to be afraid of getting saved. I was afraid to trust Jesus. How many of you know Jesus died on the cross? How many of you know they buried him and he rose again on the first day of the week? But just knowing that was not good enough. I had to trust him. I had to commit myself to him. I had to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Just as much as I had to get on that airplane, I had to get on Jesus. Amen. If I'm going to get to heaven, preacher dear, I'm scared to do it. I'm scared to trust him. What about that? Y'all got a bank account? You'll take your hard-earned money and put it in some bank, give it to some teller you don't know, some bank president, you've never met him. You put it in the bank. Preacher, and I see the statement. Let me tell you something. Banks are failing every day. They're going belly up. Money's disappearing every which way. And yet somehow you're not out front of the bank going, I, I rode this morning by banks. I didn't see people out there saying, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Is it really in there or is it not? I, I, I thought I gave it to them people. But is the money in there or is it not? But now you're worried about your soul. If you've committed your soul to Jesus Christ, honey, he's good for it. It is stored in heaven's bank vault. He's never had a break-in. He's never had a loss. He's never had a crash. You can trust him every step of the way. He is the man of salvation. My Bible says in John 3, 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. It's not that you can't trust Jesus. It's that you won't trust Jesus. That night I got saved, I was so scared. I was so afraid of admitting to everybody I was lost. But finally it got so bad, him knocking on my heart's door with an earthquake that I couldn't stand it anymore. And I flung the door wide open. And I asked him, will you forgive me and save me. My daughter got saved right here. She had made a profession of faith. She had been baptized. She was a church member. And God started showing her she was lost. And she was worried what her daddy would think about her. The preacher's daughter not being saved after making a profession. Then she got to worry what y'all would say. What will the deacon say? What will the Sunday school teacher say? What will that great choir say if I've been sitting here and I'm not really saved? And then what will they think about my daddy? And so the devil used that to try to hold her back. And finally one night, y'all had popcorn preaching. Seven preachers preached. Luke was the fifth one. And God swept to the place. I think Maggie Austin had got saved right over here. I'd prayed with her when she got saved. We got up rejoicing. There was others being saved all around. I come around this way, and there's my baby girl coming up out of the altar, weeping and crying and said, Ooh, Daddy, I just got saved, and I'm so worried what you'd say. I'm so worried what the church would say. But, Daddy, I don't care anymore. He saved me, and he forgave me, and it was a day of salvation. I'm so glad she got lost. The best thing could ever happen 
and she got lost. I'm talking to somebody right now. For some weeks, for some months, you've been saying, well, I thought I saved. I thought I really had it. But I'm telling you, God is knocking on your heart's door. You're in pain. You're uncomfortable. Oh, preacher, Darren, I've sung in the choir. Preacher, Darren, I've gone to Sunday school. Preacher, Darren, I've, I've spent time in the altar. Preacher, Darren, I believe Jesus died on the cross. Preacher, Darren, I believe they buried him and he rose again. But honey, I'm telling you, have you trusted him? Have you got on board the flight that's leaving this world? <laughs> well, glory to God. On an airplane, talking with religion, with some of these people that believe. Well, to be saved, not only do you ask him to be saved, you believe on him, but you have to be baptized to be saved. And I said, okay, let's talk about that. Let's just say, and we're flying, and the captain comes all over the intercom and says, y'all, we've lost power. We're now gliding, losing altitude. We'll lose altitude for at least five minutes before we crash into that mountain. If you need to get right with God, you must do it now. I said, friend, if I've been wicked, I need to be saved. I'd say, sir, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. Tell me how I can be saved. Well, you have to live a Christian life. I don't have time to live a Christian life. I've only got five more minutes to live. Tell me how I can be saved. Well, uh, you have to believe on Jesus, and you have to be baptized, and you have to live it. Because if you don't, so I don't have time to get baptized. I'm on an airplane getting ready to crash into a mountain. Tell me what I'm going to do. You know what he said? There's no hope for you. But that's not what I believe. My Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Y'all ought to shout right there. All I have to do is say, Oh Lord, I've been a sorry sinner. Well, I've been a hypocrite. Will you forgive me? Will you save me? And he saves you right on the spot. Whether you get baptized or not, has nothing to do with it. The thief on the cross didn't get baptized. One more thing and I'll be done. Verse 32. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. Aha! He got baptized. You're right. After he got saved. Preacher Darren, how do you know he got saved? Because he washed their stripes. Where before he imprisoned them. He was glad they were there. As you see, when you get Jesus, there's a change comes to your life. All things are, God, I, God, I feel preaching. All things are passed away and all things are made new. Bless his holy name. I don't care if you teach Sunday school in this church, you need to be saved. I don't care if you're a deacon in this church, you need to be saved. I don't care if you sing in the choir or the youth choir, you need to be saved. I don't care if you sit on this church pew 52 weeks a year for 28 straight years. If you've never been saved, you hear from this little country bumpkin today, you need to call the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll save your soul this day. 
you are living in darkness. May this be your night of salvation. Christians, I'm telling you there's problems in your life. There's persecution. There's real pain worse than a beating. But for the love of God, stop complaining and moaning and growing and start praising God and praying that God would use your testimony that lost sinners would be saved. You'd hit this altar, they'd see, how in the world are they going to the altar with cancer or with death or with the problems they got? They're still serving God. They'll see that it's real. Honey, he's real. He's real. You stand to your feet this morning. Seth, you come. I'm telling you, hey, somebody here, you've been playing church. Honey, it's time for you to get saved. I love you. I love you. And God wants to save your soul today. Won't you come right now? Drop your pride. Drop your little profession. You know it's not what you need to stand on when you stand before God. Won't you right now come and say, God, I want you to save me. Save me today. Let this be my day of salvation. God, do with hearts all around you. Maybe you're a Christian. You can't explain some of the happenings in your life. Won't you get in this altar like Paul and Silas? I'm telling you, Paul and Silas was here. They're getting this altar and say, preach, preacher, preach. God, answer. Save souls. God, we praise you. Thank you for the pain. Thank you for the problems. Thank you for salvation. Hallelujah to God. Your head's bowed and nobody's looking. Preacher, it's me. I need to be saved. Why don't you slip up your hand? I'll not call you out or embarrass you. Why don't you right now put your hand up and say, Preacher, I need to be saved. God, do it with my heart. Yes, amen. Thank you. Anybody else? 